This is Diapers and Disciples, episode 32. On Diapers and Disciples, we're talking about living out the Great Commission as a mom. I'm Amber O'Hearn, and today's chat is with Sybil Neiman. We're talking all about the importance of our kids growing up on good books. I especially love Sybil's tips for choosing good literature for our children and the benefits of reading that she's seen in her own family. Thanks for listening in. Here's my chat with Sybil. Hi, Sybil. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. Uh, A mutual friend of ours, Erin, had suggested having you on the show to talk about good literature for children and how that impacts family life. And I loved the idea. (laughs) So I'm really excited to talk about it. But before we jump into that, maybe we could start with you telling us a little bit about you and your family and a glimpse of what your life looks like right now. Sure. Yes, um, I am. I guess you would describe me as an older mom. Um, (laughs) I have uh, six children. Uh, The oldest is 21 and the youngest is nine. So we are um, out of the stage of having little tiny children and we're into the stage of having very large old children to us anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, We live in uh, the upper Midwest. We um, uh, have homeschooled um, on and off pretty much from near the beginning of our our parenting journey. Uh, My oldest was in second grade when we pulled her from school and began homeschooling. But we have throughout the years put them in various other school situations. Um, So part of um, how we manage to do as much reading as we have done is that we have a lot of time together. So um, people who are listening can just sort of adjust and and understand that um, that's um, part of our experience. Hmm. So... Um, yeah, that's what it looks like right now. So are all your children homeschooled right now or do you have a, a mix? Um, yeah, um, well, the oldest two are at the university here. Okay. Um, and then I have a junior in high school who is, I would say, partially homeschooled. She takes um, a two-day-a-week course um, that provides all her her base classes, all her core classes, and then we do some uh, religion and some other uh, types of things together. So she's pretty, she's kind of half and half. And then the younger three are homeschooled, yes. Okay, wonderful. So have you always been passionate about having your kids read good literature? Um, yeah, you know, I grew up as a reader. My my husband also grew up as a reader. And um and we both still read a lot um, ourselves. So when we had children, I was very excited because I was so thrilled to be able to share with you know my children all these wonderful books that I remembered from my own childhood. And um, I had read almost nothing but fiction. My husband, um, even when he was quite young, you know, in, in grade school, he read uh, a lot more history. And so um, he had a different perspective. But um, yes, we have always from the very beginning felt that um, literature was a very important part of um, just life in, in individuals, but also in family life. Um, and we, we right away instituted the bedtime story, which uh, provided the kind of winding down time when they were very small. Mm-hmm. And um, and we kind of went from there. Do you remember what age you started that bedtime story at? Mm-hmm. I do. Um, all my children are, um, uh, by God's grace, about two years apart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so um, I know that we had little, cute little board books for our oldest when she was um, still a baby. You know, we had Goodnight Moon and we had, um, I guess, some of the Eric Carl picture books, you know, the Hungry Caterpillar sure. and, and those. And I think people must have given those to us. Um, Pat the Bunny, I remember we had. Um, mm-hmm. And we'd look at those. But when I had my second baby, um, you know, I was stuck on the couch nursing all the time. And so I found that 
And so at that point, my older child would have been um, about two, two and a half. So it was a really great way to connect with her and to settle her down if she was upset um, while I was nursing. Mm. And, um, so yeah, so I, and I think we probably just looked at those, those board books and little, you know, easy picture books, um, for a little while, but as she got used to it, then we, um, just did more and more. So right from the beginning. That's great. So, um, when they were young like that, you said you were doing, you know, the board books or, um, maybe the kind of touch and feel books like Pat the Bunny. Mm -hmm. And then um, at what point were you able to transition to, or maybe you don't do this, I'm not sure. Do you read picture books still or do you read chapter books mostly now? Yes. Oh, yes. Well, um, you know, it's a great, um, wonderful thing to have older children. And um, and they all, of course, are readers themselves. You know, you yeah. <laughs> you raise the kind of people that you yourself are. <laughs> so um, it's not surprising. But um, so they all read um, independently. Uh, but we do read together still. We're uh, we're reading um, chapter books. We're in the middle of um, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings right now. But um, we uh, we read picture books uh, for a long time. Um, probably transitioning to chapter books when it seemed like the older kids were ready for something a little more complicated. Um, so we, we would read, um, longer picture books and, you know, there are a lot of beautiful, um, fairy tale books, which have quite a bit of text in them. And when, you know, so the child is looking at the the illustrations and listening and the illustrations kind of help to hold their attention. But, you know, once they get used to that, then you know that they can probably sit still for a, a shorter chapter book, um, without so many pictures. And so probably age, I don't know. Uh, well, different for every kid, depending on how wiggly they are, but maybe age six or seven. Okay. Yeah. And then of course, if you have several children, then you're reading kind of maybe two books at once, right? You're reading maybe, um, a chapter book with your older kids who, um, are very eager to show that they are old and mature and are, beyond picture books. (laughs) (laughs) And then you have a whole stack of, of picture books for your little ones. And, um, even though the older kids, um, poo poo it, generally they, they like to hang around and listen to the chap, the picture books too. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, you're kind of maybe doing both. So has, have bedtime stories always been a family event where it's all the kids at once or... Um, yes, because um, all of the kids are, are so relatively close together mm-hmm. in age, um, for most of their time as little children, they all pretty much went to bed at the same time. And, you know, at the end of the day, the baby is fussy and, you know, really needs to nurse down. And that's the time where we would sit and read. And sometimes we would read three or four picture books or several chapters of a chapter book. So yeah, it's always been a family event. Um, And then when kids get so that they really don't want to be read to anymore, oftentimes they will drift in and out, you know, and listen, Hmm. especially if it's a book they remember loving as a younger kid. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, So I've heard some people say that it doesn't necessarily matter what your kids are reading as long as the story gets them to pick up a book and spend time reading every day. Mm -hmm. What are are your thoughts on that? Well, I have thoughts on this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have to say that um, I think that as careful as we are about what kind of food we offer to our children and what kind of food we restrict from our children and the reasons that we choose certain foods and um, limit other foods is because we know that what we feed them becomes 
the building blocks of their health or lack thereof. And I think that books are food for the mind and the imagination. And I think that the very worst thing you could do is to give a child any old object that has two covers and some pages with some printing on it in between Mm -hmm. and then say, here, you know, it's really, it's easy and yummy. So have it, you know, that would be like, you know, giving a child a piece of candy that was shaped like an apple in order Mm -hmm. to get them to like apples. I mean, if you want them to like apples, then I think you should feed them apples right from the very beginning and not candy in that shape and with that appearance. So I would say that what we are doing with our kids is we are forming their taste. They don't, they're not born with any kind of understanding of what's good and what's not good. But like any, you know, immature people, they, they have what's immediately pleasurable, you know, what's immediately um, pretty or funny or um, without, they don't have discernment. And so um, I would absolutely not uh, give kids any old book in the hope that they will learn to read. I think we should read them um, and read to them, but also give them what is uh, good. Um, And then also I think we have to show, we have to model that those things are good. Just like with food, you know, um, when I um, first was a parent, um, I, I've always loved grapefruit. And so I would only buy two or three grapefruits, you know, and um, I just assumed that the children wouldn't like them because they were kind of sour. But of course, you know, when when my daughter asked for a bite, I said something like, oh, it's delicious, but I don't think you would like it. Well, of course, she did like it. You know, it was sort of a challenge. (laughs) And they all eat grapefruit, every one of them. And I can't keep grapefruit (laughs) in the house. So um, I think it's, so I think there is that as well, that we have to model enjoying good literature. Um, And what we read with them ought to please us. Hmm. If it doesn't please us, then it's probably not good for them. Mm. So books that are real boring. Now, I mean, there's a difference between tedious and boring. Like, you know, a lot of the Dr. Seuss are delightful and a wonderful use of language, wonderful poetry. Um, I personally don't care for the the um, art, but I understand that of its kind, it's very, um, very good. So that's tedious to read. But books that are just boring, you know, where the, the plot line is just nothing and the characters are cardboard characters, even for a children's book, you know, it, if it's boring to you, it's probably not worth giving the kids. <laughs> yeah. So, so I would say, um, you know, we, we should think about what we want their taste to be. And I'm thinking particularly of um, things at the library that are books related to movies, television shows, or um, toys, products. Hmm. I think um, I would really recommend that parents not give those to the kids because it, they're kind of candy. You know, again, I don't know that they're immoral. They're probably not terribly immoral, but they are, they exist to sell a product. They really do. Hmm. And so they want you to go watch Dora the Explorer or whatever the current, you know, TV show is. That's what they're, you know, hoping you'll do. Um, so I just think that's the kind of thing that, um, it's very formulaic, and uh, the characters are not necessarily real characters. Um, so I would avoid those, mm-hmm. I guess I would say. And I would, again, reading with and, and helping the kids to see how funny and delightful certain books are. I'll never forget um, my mom reading Winnie the Pooh to me when I was very little, 
And I was very blessed because she uh, was in her early life, she was an actress and she was, uh, had wonderful voices for all the different characters. Mm-hmm. But this was the real Winnie the Pooh, not the Disney books. Sure. So, the, um, so, you know, she would be reading along and then she would burst out laughing <laughs> because she just thought these were funny stories. Hmm. And, um, and so I really came to see these are funny, you know, but that's because she modeled that for me. Hmm. That's a beautiful memory. I love that. Yes, so, it's a wonderful memory. So what would you say makes something a good book then? Yeah. Well, um, I, I've had some time to ponder this and I, I am a little nervous to, um, to weigh in because, of course, there are many, many more learned um, people than I who have taken up this question. But um, I would have to say that a good book for children, first of all, is a good story. It's a good traditional story. And by traditional, I mean it has a beginning and a middle and an end. It has a protagonist who is a, a sympathetic character. It is told by a writer. And that's where some of these books um, that you could get at um, the library that are Disney books or comic books or, um, oh, um, some a lot of the series books, you know, um, they're written by people who churn them out. They're not necessarily written by real writers. When you get a real writer telling a story, even if it's a story for children, you can't help but see the um, or feel rather the artistry of it. So a good story, well told, with a traditional story structure. Um, also, the um, if it's illustrated, illustrated by an artist who really is an artist. Um, and, you know, again, we can have artists um, of many different styles. You know, they do line drawings or they do uh, watercolors or um, real lush um, oil paintings that are reproduced, um, all different kinds of styles. But you can really, I think, see the difference between that and a um, something illustrated on a computer um, in a way that's very flat and very... Um, uh, almost like advertising, you know, the mm. most obvious um, pictures. Hmm. So I guess that's what I would say. Oh, and one other thing I will say too, a, a good book will portray reality. And uh, by that, I would say, you know, we know as Christians that God is in charge of the world and that although there might be scary things or sad things or um, difficulties, in the end, our Lord will find a way to bring good out of evil. Mm -hmm. And the best stories are the ones that explore this topic uh, in a way that doesn't, um, isn't cheap, you Mm -hmm. know, that isn't cheap. That, um, so for example, the hero, um, has adventures, and he or she has got to suffer the consequences of their mistakes and their and their sins, really. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, to see how um, the tension, the the story can be resolved in a way that indicates that good ultimately triumphs. And that justice is better than injustice. And all those things, you know, embodied in the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. um, are, are um, ultimately upheld, even where there is misbehavior in the story. Those things are ultimately mis- uh, upheld. And that if, um, if a character offends against the basic goodness, uh, we have to see how that is given a consequence within the story. Um, and it has to be satisfying because evil cannot go unpunished. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would say is a good story. 
That's very, very helpful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, do you, uh, when you're selecting books, say at the library or purchasing books, do you pre-screen the books or read them beforehand? Or do you um, gather bu- books just based on suggestions of those you trust? Yes. Yes, um, we have tried to be very careful about screening. And I know, um, especially moms of of multiple children, um, find this really taxing because we don't have a lot of time to read. And frankly, if we do have time to read, we don't want to be reading children's books. (laughs) We want to be reading books for ourselves. And, you know, it, it it seems onerous. I would just... Um, encourage any moms listening, uh, don't skip this step. And the reason is that um, you cannot trust the librarians to have your values and to believe that every evil deed must be punished and that good must triumph. And that um, that, uh, the traditional basic values of reality, not even Christian life, but just real life, you know, that um, families are safe and to be trusted and um, that a child can be innocent and protected. These are, um, you would, you would think that every children's book writer would still maintain this, but they don't. Mm -hmm. So when they're young, I, I do actually read every word of every book. And, you know, we have gotten some clunkers. There was a book, a picture book with very charming um, illustrations not too long ago. And it looked like a fairy tale, but kind of, you know, a newer fairy tale. We hadn't seen it. I thought, oh, this will be interesting. And I read through. And it turned out that the young prince was seeking a bride and he couldn't find any he liked. And the reason was that it wasn't a bride he wanted. It was a groom. And this was just on the shelf. And, you know, that's not our values. And so um, I would encourage everybody, even some books that seem fine um, will feature a child with divorced parents or, um, you know, uh, some real world problem which is just far too heavy for a, you know, a five or six year old to start thinking about, you know, they don't need to be thinking about those, those issues at that age. I mean, even if it, if it's happening in their own family, um, they need to be thinking about goodness and truth and beauty. Mm. So, um, yes. Now when the, when they get older, it becomes a lot more serious. (laughs) If you raise children to be readers, by the time they're you know, between 11 and 14, just the way they all of a sudden start growing and they get huge, you know, almost overnight, (laughs) they go from being a little kid to being a young adult. And it is really fast. It's very surprising Mm -hmm. with a lot of children, how fast they grow at that stage. I have seen in my own kids that corresponding jump in their reading ability. And so they are reading along and suddenly They just have grown and all of the good chapter books, which are appropriate for for young people, are too easy for them. And they become boring just because they're so easy. So I have a daughter um, who's 11 now and she has read all of the Louisa May Alcott, all of the Anne of Green Gables. She's read Sherlock Holmes. She's read... um, all of the different older books that we have given her and now <laughs> she's only 11 and you know we're trying to figure out what <laughs> books to give her that are hard enough and interesting enough that do not also feature themes that are far too adult for her to be reading about mm. it's it really gets to be uh, difficult. So in those cases, I would say definitely consult book lists. Um, consult other families who you trust who are farther along in their parenting than you are and ask them what what books their kids have liked. 
Um, if you can remember from your own youth, you know, try to remember what kinds of books you were reading and what you thought was good. And then um, um, I did um, provide a partial book list um, for you, Amber, which you've said you'll put on the, in the notes. And so people who are interested in that can, can see what kinds of books I would recommend um, for that stage. You cannot pre-read everything. If you have a reader um, who is 13, that child could be reading three or four books a week. And, um, and even if they're only reading one book a week... <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> when are you going to preview that? So right. what I do in that case is I, I generally cannot read them word for word. What I do in that case is, first of all, I look at the cover and I look at the back. I look at the, sometimes they'll have those testimonials, little blurbs from other people talking about what a great book it is. Sure. And I will read those because sometimes they will say, oh, this book is just like whatever, you know, whatever famous mm. book that I may have read. And that will give me information about, oh, well, I read that book and I didn't like it. So, or, oh, I read that book and it was great. Um, then what I do is I dip into the book, you know, at four or five places randomly and I kind of take a look at the, at the dialogue. How, how do the characters talk? What's the writing like? You know, is the writing this real dumb attempt at reproducing teenage speech? That is not what we want. We want our kids to get good, interesting writing that is maybe a little hard to decode. Um, and again, it's sort of delicate because you have to know your kids. Sometimes it's just too hard to decode, but you want it to be a little above them. Mm -hmm. And um, so that I, I would just look at the quality of the writing. The other thing I would do is look at the dialogue where where characters are talking to each other. What, what do they sound like? Do they sound real sassy and snotty? Do they sound, I mean, is there swearing? I mean, plenty, there are plenty of chapter books where there's swearing, uh, taking the Lord's name in vain, uh, actual cuss words, uh, gross, you know, language for body parts. So I would look for that, too. And if you see any of it at all, you just have to put it back as, mm. as hard as it is. And even if every other kid has read it or is reading it, you know, just and just explain why. Um. Yeah. And then I guess, too, I, you know, for parents of teenagers, I would be so careful if you're Christians of the teen section at the library and in the bookstore. Books that are marketed today for teens are almost uniformly books with um, what we would consider to be immoral or deviant sexual behavior. Um or just absolutely desperate, godless um, outlooks on life. And I would just, that's not the kind of book that a teenager needs to be reading because they already are going through plenty of ups and downs in their own spiritual life, in their own emotional life. Sure. You want them to be reading things that elevate human um, thought and not that drag it down to the lowest common denominator. Hmm. That's great. That's very helpful. Um, you had mentioned a, a few different series, uh, yeah. like Anne of Green Gables and mm -hmm. uh, Lord of the Rings. So I'm wondering if there have been books from that you read, um, maybe as a child, that now your children are reading that um, you get to share in um, I don't know, maybe the excitement of them getting to experience the story for the first oh, time. Oh, yes. Oh, boy. Um, I know that it has happened. Um, I'm trying to think. I guess I guess the only one that springs to mind is pretty common to most Christian parents, and that's the Narnia books. Um, I absolutely loved them as a, as a kid, and mm -hmm. I... I did it the first time we read through those. I think we've probably read the entire series aloud 
with various children. It's probably been five times in our our family (laughs) life. Well, we've been married, you know, almost 23 years. So that's, you know, it's not like every year, but, (laughs) but yes, the first time that we read that together, I got chills just, oh, remembering how those stories moved me and how exciting they were and talking, you know, saying, oh, if you liked this book, I know you're going to like the next one. And they'll say, oh, please, can we read it right now? And I said, no, we have to wait. And some books, I will say, when you're older, you can read this book. And, oh, wait till you read this book. I'm trying to think of an example more recently, but I'd have to ponder that. But absolutely. And um, just to say, you know, oh, the first time I got to this part in it. And that's another thing, too, that I want to stress with um, reading aloud. I know I know how crazy family life is for many families. And I know a lot of moms are um, working also outside the home. And it can be terribly difficult to find time to read aloud. But I would just say the benefits are so enormous um, and one of them is that you then you begin to have conversations, even with your kids who are not very old. Um, oh, the great brain. Um, the great brain books I, I read as a kid and thought were so funny. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you get to talk about these books with with them and say, you know, what did you think of this or that? You know, it's. It's very organic. It's just um, you don't have to follow a program. You don't have to have study questions. All you have to do is say, oh, this part I really liked. Or, you know, I never got this. When I read it when I was your age, I never understood what that meant. And now I see Mm -hmm. it's this or it's that. Um, And sometimes you might even find that a book you really liked when you were a kid, when you get into it, you say, you know, children, I loved this book when I was a kid, and now I don't like it, and here's why. Hmm. Um, it becomes a way of teaching your children what real conversation is about and how to, how to talk about books that you're reading very organically. It's, just, it, it, it's not something that you have to have a college degree. <laughs> you just kind of you just talk about mm-hmm. what you're reading, what you like, what you didn't like. That's wonderful. Would you say your primary reading time as a family is in the evenings, or do you try and incorporate it during the day as well? Mm -hmm. Um, It has varied through um, our life. Uh, Generally in the evenings, um, so for, you know, the first 12, 13 years of our marriage, um, I had either a nursing baby or, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, uh, a squirmy toddler (laughs) that I wanted to settle down for for bed. And so uh, bedtime was always the time. I know a lot of families like, yeah, they have a bath every night. And I'm here to tell you, my children were always really dirty because we (laughs) we did not always get to the bath. I always felt like the story time was a better way to get them wound down. Mm. Um, just, you know, the ones who were really wiggly, they could draw while they were listening if, or if they didn't want to look at the pictures. Um, I found that just the best way. So, um, but then there have been other times since we are homeschoolers, um, you know, there have been books that I have wanted to read as a family, um, that I would read, for instance, while we were having lunch together. Um, so stories of holy men and women, or um, one year we did all the Old Testament mm-hmm. from a children's Bible, and we read that at lunch. And so I would just read it. Um, you know, if you're going to do um, children's Bibles, please just get one with dignified illustrations. Mm. <laughs> there are some that I feel like the illustrations are so um, cartoonish. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, that's sad to me. You know, um, if we get to have fairy tales with beautiful illustrations, I think that our uh, scripture for, for children ought to mm-hmm. as well. So anyway, we have done that I might, as well. I might have to get a few recommendations for you for because there are so many children's Bibles out there. So maybe if there's oh, a sure. few you recommend, I'll put those in the show notes oh, for sure. people that are interested as well. 
Sure. That's great. I love the idea of reading over lunch too. And what a great way to get prayer time in with your children as well. Yes. And you know, um, unfortunately, I came of age in the in the era where um, back in the 70s and 80s, where catechesis had sunk to an unimaginably low mm. uh, point. <laughs> and um, so, you know, there were a lot of I we learned, you know, Noah's Ark, and we learned um, David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. And that was about what we learned of the Old Testament. There were all sorts of stories from the Old Testament that even as an adult, I am ashamed to say, I had almost no familiarity with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously sometimes you hear them um, preached on or, or read in church, but, you know, it's not the same as reading it for yourself. And right. I learned a lot, you know, when I began reading um, children's Bibles with my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's what that is. Oh, I always wondered. <laughs> it's just, I, yeah, I'm embarrassed to admit that because I know your listeners are all very um, scriptural oh. and um Whatever, but anyway, I think yes, that's a wonderful a point. Lot. Yes, I feel like I'm in the same boat. I'm discovering I uh, just haven't read very much of the Old Testament. So in my prayer recently, I've been going through some different studies of um, Joshua. Right now, I'm going through Exodus, and it's just amazing how much you yes. don't realize is yes. Yes, the point about where, um, you know, when Moses is still in Egypt and the um, And Pharaoh is scared about the Israelites being so numerous. And he says, he he calls the Israelite midwives and he says, there are too many of you. So I want you guys, when you go and attend a birth, I want you to kill the babies and just tell the moms that they died during the process. And of course, the midwives were very brave mm-hmm. and they just said, no, we won't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I had, I mean, you know, that isn't the sort of story that a children's book would say so directly. Right. But um, but I we did have one that sort of touched on it in a very general way, enough for me to understand about it. I had never heard that mm-hmm. ever. You know, this whole, the, the um, honor and the bravery of these nameless um Israelite women who refused to to harm babies, mm-hmm. um, even at the risk of their own lives. So, yeah, I've learned a lot. Um, and I wanted to say, too, that reminds me that I have learned a lot. I've, I've come to many very delightful children's books and young people's books um, of an older vintage that I had never read when I was a kid. I read them for the first time when I read them with my own children. Mm. And some of them are the most delightful and enduring books that we own, that the kids will reread on their own now that they're old enough to read to themselves. And how did you discover those books? Yes. Well, I have have been very fortunate. Um, There are a couple um, homeschooling moms who have shared their book lists have published their book lists, and um, I've learned a lot from them. Um, the one I would say I used the most, that I found the most helpful when we were first starting out, um, were a series of, of book lists uh, in the back of a book by a writer whose name is Elizabeth Foss, F-O-S-S. She has a blog, um, and her book, it's a, it's a book written for homeschoolers about homeschooling, but anybody, even um, if you have kids in school and you know you won't be homeschooling, these book lists are fabulous. Um, she divides them up into lower elementary, upper elementary, um, and then I think young adult, but I think she even divides those. I don't have it with me here. Oh, but and she also has themed book lists. Oh, okay. So, for example, she says, okay, so let's say that you're interested in American history. You know, you want to read American history, but through good literature. 
So here is here are a series of, of historical picture books that are really nice in helping your children learn about the, the key points in history. They're told as stories so that it's it's not a history book. It's a story book, um, but it's a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that's how I learned about the Dolaire books. I don't know. Have you ever seen the Dolaire books? I haven't, no. Um that's on my on my book list um, that'll be in the show notes. But um, it was a husband and wife team, and they wrote and illustrated uh, many picture books um, with different mythologies. But they also did picture books in um, history. So there are stories about George Washington and Paul Revere um, told as a story. Uh, but with charming, uh, delightful pictures that kids really like to look at. Mm -hmm. And I think I I like looking at them too. So Elizabeth Foss um, has wonderful book lists. The other writer who um, she blogs, but she also has published a book is Lila Lawler. And she, her blog is uh, like mother, like daughter, and it's a beautiful blog. It's not only about books, okay. but she has on there across the top, she has a, a tab, a whole series that's called her library project. Mm-hmm. And I won't talk a lot about it because people can go look at it, but I have to say she has flawless taste. Mm-hmm. And she talks about why read this instead of that you know you know there's a book out right now where it's whatever you know and she'll name it what's wrong with reading that book and if there is something wrong with it then what what could you recommend that would be better and so she has a whole list of of wonderful um books uh she talks about it in a way that is um crystal clear and so i would i would recommend people look at her recommendations as well Wonderful. That's great. I I will definitely link to those as well. Um, I'm interested in checking that out. That'll be great. Yes. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you if you had heard of uh, the program Five in a Row. I have. Um, You know, I don't know that I have. I have investigated it. And again, the reason is that I think at the time that I heard about it, we had already gotten ourselves established pretty well, I felt like what we were doing was working. Okay. And so I just didn't want to, I didn't want to tinker too much. Right. But yes, I'm, I'm, I'd be, I'd love to know more about it. I I just know a little bit about it, not very much, but um, when you were talking about the themed lists of, um, Mm -hmm. for example, um, you know, American history, uh, the five in a row program, uh, the idea behind it is you read the same a storybook for five days in a row. And then you do an activity related to that book that focuses each day. So maybe it focuses on geography the first day. And the second mm-hmm. day, it focuses on science or math. Um, and you get exposure to, um, you know, different school subjects through one picture book. Oh. Um, so I've done a few not the actual book, <laughs> but uh, there is an actual five in a row book you can follow. But I've followed, mm-hmm. tried to follow that idea a little bit with my with my daughter Lucy. Um, so I, I was just curious if you'd heard of it. So yeah, you know I haven't. I what I will say about that is I would just beware, even if you're not homeschooling. Um, I I think we want first of all to instill a love of literature as art Hmm. and so i i'm i'm certainly not criticizing it sounds wonderful but i i would say um children don't want to feel that there's some reason that you're reading this book to them (laughs) Hmm. interesting um like uh so so if you are homeschooling in some ways it's it's better just to read the book and enjoy the book and talk about the book in a very casual, unstructured way. Mm-hmm. And then to let the kids decide if they want to, if they want to do something to, um, to make, you know, to kind of do something creative. You know, my kids sometimes would, would um, make up plays about books that we were reading. 
put on plays of Robin Hood or, you know, whatever book we were reading. Uh, but if it becomes a task, then I think some of the joy can be taken out of it for them. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes a, it becomes a chore. And then, and then they associate books with, you know, storybooks, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, with there might be some reason that mom is having me read this. <laughs> you uh, know, interesting. Uh -huh. um, so again, I, I'm not opposed to that. So for example, there's a wonderful book called Stone Soup, which is a very old story. So many people know it and um, I won't recount it, but essentially soldiers, they get a suspicious town to share their food by saying that they're going to make soup out of stones. And they have a big pot and they put plain old stones into the water. And then all of the villagers contribute food. And so after reading that, my niece said, oh, let's make stone soup. Let's go find <laughs> stones and put, you know, put them in the water and then put all those, those vegetables and things in there. And that was something she thought of, she wanted to do, and that was great. That was her authentic reaction to the literature. Mm -hmm. But um, anything too didactic can be really a turnoff, especially mm -hmm. for a certain kind of child. So I would just, I would, I would, I would say, just be thinking. You know, you you want them to understand that books are just for themselves. There's mm -hmm. no reason we're reading this. We're just reading it because it's a good book. You know? Wow, that's a, yes, that's a great point, and. Um... Uh, no one has brought that up to me yet. So, so okay. I, I, I am interested to sit with that for a little bit. I think that's a great point. So uh, what benefits have you seen in your own children from um, reading? Yeah. Well, um, first of all, of course, to establish the habit of reading is to make their lives in school much easier. Mm. Children who struggle in, in reading um, who are not confident readers um, will struggle with everything else, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It's just the nature of our literate society. So very important, if you have a child who's struggling, let's say a third grader who's struggling with reading but is doing really well with math, uh, I would even lay off the math, even mm -hmm. though she's doing great or he's doing great. I would say just establish that reading because – the longer that fluency is put off or not achieved, the the less confident they're going to be and the harder everything else is going to be. So that's the first thing. Hmm. The second thing is, um, of course, vocabulary. If you're reading good literature, the children are, I mean – precocious in their vocabulary and they don't even know it mm. you know they're and especially if they use big words correctly don't compliment them on it because you don't want them to think that there's anything unusual about using those words mm -hmm. so um i think it was in fact it was with citrus fruit here i've been talking about grapefruit <laughs> a son who was a struggling reader um but we read out loud a good deal. And he, so he was maybe in first or second grade. He was sitting at the table and he was eating a tangerine. And he looked at me as I passed by and he said, Mama, I am savoring this tangerine. Oh. And he did not know that savoring was kind of an odd verb. <laughs> for, for a six-year-old oh, to use sweet. it had not it, it, it and I didn't I all I said was oh I'm so glad you know it's a good I'm glad it's a good tangerine right um, so their vocabulary uh will just grow with the goodness of the literature don't ever substitute words for hard words mm. because that's how vocabulary is built mm. not by any kind of quizzes and looking up in dictionaries. It's just by hearing it read or reading it. Mm. So those are two benefits. I mean, there are a million more. Um, and the only one I'll, I'll share quite quickly, I know I'm talking a lot, but oh, no, um, great. my sister-in-law is, um, she has to work full time. Um, and she established um, with her four boys, a story time, even though most of them were already reading. They had not done it. They had not had that habit, regular habit. Mm -hmm. And she said it had been one of the biggest blessings of their life 
to establish a, a read aloud time because it brought them together as a family. It calmed them down and it gave them a shared uh, thing to enjoy. Mm-hmm. So um, that it can really strengthen family life to have certain books that you as a family like and that you as a family remember and and um, talk about even long after you've read them. Mm-hmm. So those are some benefits. That's great. I'm glad you brought up uh, reading aloud as well in the family traditions of that. I feel like I have certain memories of certain books associated with different seasons. Like at Christmas mm-hmm. time, maybe we always read these books. <laughs> I mean, nothing's coming to mind in particular, but yes. after you said that, I, I feel like um, I do have some associations with different books and different seasons with my family. So yes, that's wonderful. Yes. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, you briefly mentioned uh, different personalities of your children and, um, yeah. you know, they advance in their reading at different levels. Um, how have you handled that with I mean, I don't know if you've had any children that have really struggled with reading or. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, we we have. Um, we have had the sort of range. Now, what we don't have is we don't have any children with learning disabilities. Mm. So I want to make sure that if people, you know, sometimes uh, a child who just cannot, no matter how frequently you work with them or whatever, that would be an indication to get them evaluated. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but we, so we don't have that. So um, I can't speak to that, but we have had um, both. Of, I have two boys and four girls and the two boys, both of them uh, struggled to gain fluency. It was really a struggle. Um, uh, my older son really uh, was not reading fluently even into fourth grade. And that was, again, after all the reading aloud and choosing books that he liked, you know, that were appealing to him as a boy. And and um, and we had to lay off. With him, we needed to just lay off him and not require him to work on reading. Mm-hmm. And so we did. Because we were homeschooling, we had the blessing of saying, you know, son – you are exhausted with trying to figure this out. And so we're going to just stop asking you for about six months. You don't have to read anything. And he needed that break. He just was overwhelmed. And I think he had gotten a little um, resistant because it was a daily struggle, you know. And after, if you yourself are trying to learn something and it's weeks and weeks and weeks and you feel like you're not getting it, you know you're not getting it, you get tired. And so we needed to do that for him. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I had um, one of my daughters teach herself. I I never, I didn't, I really truly thought that that moms who said that were making it up. (laughs) (laughs) I really did not think that children did that. Um, But she did. She had, we had little, we had little phonics books for her, but she really needed almost none of it. She just, she just took to it. Mm-hmm. And so, and we've had everybody in between. Um, what I have done though, is I have not allowed them to not listen. Mm-hmm. So while we're reading aloud, I want them to listen. And I try very hard to choose the books that are exciting and interesting to them. So um, if my current reader, struggling reader is, is a boy, I want to make really sure that the subject matter is exciting enough and interesting enough for him, that there are some admirable male characters. Um, that matters. It matters to, to boys to, to have admirable male characters. And likewise for girls. You know, mm-hmm. that they get to hear stories with admirable girl characters. Um, but that they do have to listen. They don't have to be sitting on the couch. If they want to be upside down on the floor or if they want to be coloring <laughs> or quietly playing with Legos, quietly. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy as, because sometimes children are just fidgety. They need to be doing something with their bodies. Um, they can't just sit still. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have required them to listen at least to a chapter 
you know, because um, I just think it's that important. Mm. That's great. Um, this has been so wonderful, Sybil. I feel like I've received so much from this. So thank you for, for coming on and sharing. You're welcome. Um, I have a few more questions for you that I ask all my guests. So sure. what would you say is your favorite part of your home and why? Yes. Um, such an interesting question. Um, I love my bedroom. <laughs> I, um, I, all through the first half of our marriage where, you know, we, we constantly had babies and toddlers in and out of bed and, you know, it's where you dump all your laundry and, uh, you know, you can never make your bed cause you're not, you don't have the time in the morning or whatever. But now, now that I'm older and my kids are older and I can make my bed and I can keep it reasonably clean, I really like my bedroom. Mm. So I've got some, some very beautiful prints on the wall and yep, it's very cozy. I, I love that idea of just having a uh, a space where you can just find refuge <laughs> and peace yes. in your home. So that's wonderful. Yes. Um, so Sybil, what would you say you have been loving recently? Mm. Um, I'll say two short sure. things. The first thing is uh, daylight. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we live in the north and um, it is hard to have such short winter days. And so now that um, the days are longer, I just, I love it so much. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm happy about the daylight. Um, and then the other thing that I'm loving is um, uh, I'm in a, a, a choir at church mm-hmm. and um, we sing just beautiful music. Mm-hmm. The director chooses lovely early you know, Renaissance music to sing. And it's very hard and I'm not terribly good at singing, but um, (laughs) I I get a lot of joy out of singing Mm. it. Um, It's a very, a nice group of people. And, um, and the music is just, it's, it's an honor to be able to sing it, you know? So wonderful. Yep. Um, And then my last question for you is, do you have any mom hacks to share or something that's making your life a little easier? Sure. Um, Well, you know, I, um, you know, once you get into it, you know, and you sort of figure out your rhythm and, you know, things kind of, they kind of putter along, kind of, you know, you figure out what needs to happen. So I was trying to think what kind of mom hack have I recently uh, found? I, I, mm-hmm. It hasn't been recent, but um, I just sort of randomly with my oldest child made the decision that when she got to, oh, well, not randomly, I remember now, but there was a point to it. But um, <laughs> I decided when she was 16, that she could do her own laundry. And, mm. um, and so now I did that with my second. So now my third is 16. And, um, and so she's just now she's starting to do her own laundry. And let me tell you, that is great. (laughs) You know, um, I haven't folded any of my kids laundry in years and years. They fold their own laundry, but, um, Mm. but now I'm not even going to have it. I'm not going to touch it. She's going to take care of it. And so I'm loving that less laundry to do. (laughs) That's wonderful. So I have to ask about the folding. So when do you do your children's laundry in, um, like by child so then they just come and take it out of the dryer or do they sort it themselves how does that work no i um i i get crazy because they don't sort properly so i do the sorting i okay i put i i separate the clothes and put them in the washer i take them and put them in the dryer and then um my laundry area is in our unfinished basement so we Mm -hmm. have just every child has their own basket and i sort the clean laundry from the dryer directly into their basket. And okay. from there, they deal with it. So I, every couple of, of days, if the basket gets really full, I'll say, hey, take your basket upstairs, fold it and put <laughs> it away and return your basket to the basement. But mm-hmm. if they want to wear wrinkled, cold, <laughs> cold <laughs> in the basement, 
I mean, my youngest is nine. So, you know, she can choose if she wants to have her clothes be nice and folded and flat or if she wants to be a wrinkled mess. And <laughs> certainly the older ones. But no, so I have not folded. I, I fold my laundry and my husband's laundry and mm-hmm. everybody else does their own from the point at which it goes into their basket. And that's great. Um, oh, yeah, it's. That's a mom hack I would encourage everybody to do. <laughs> and, you know, they can fold when they're five. You have mm-hmm. to remind them, but they can fold when they're five. No question. <laughs> so by the time they're five, you should not be folding their laundry. That's so great. I, mean, oh, I, I love that not one. To be, not to be opinionated <laughs> or anything. But <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Sybil, thank you so much again. This has been so lovely chatting with you. It's been wonderful to talk with you as well, Amber. Thanks for having me on. It's always fun to talk about books. Oh, of course. Uh, I'll go ahead and close this in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time to um, chat today. Jesus, I pray for all those moms that are listening today, uh, whether they're doing laundry or washing dishes, um, running errands, that um, you would be with them, Lord, that you would make your presence known to them, that they would have the grace and the strength to uh, choose joy today, uh, to choose to love their families well, and uh, to trust in you, God. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Hi, friends. Happy Easter. I wanted to thank you all for your prayers this Lent. I know many of you have been following our housing situation, and I wanted to let you know that we'll be moving into our new home this month. I also wanted to let you know that I'm in the early stages of planning for season two of the show, and I would love to hear what topics you'd want covered in the fall. So if you have suggestions, you can send those to me at diapersanddisciples.com contact. Thanks for listening in. Until next time, you all are in my prayers. God bless.